0: A terror filled week in America, and what that means for conspiracy theory. And then we take a look at one of the most intriguing, yet almost unknown, UFO encounters Operation Plate today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day, too. Let me say this, too. I think the people who listen to the show, I think you've kind of got it at this point, where the show is skeptical, but also enjoys researching this stuff and wants them to be true, wants these mysteries to be solved. And if we solve it and it's fake, then we solve it and it's fake. And if we solve it and it's mysterious, then that's cool, too. And I think the people I've talked to a lot of you now... Through email, or online, things like that. And I think we kind of all have that same idea. I Basically what I'm saying is I think we're more discerning than the average conspiracy theorist. Who will just believe any nonsense that has a good narrative behind it. And I think that's what's happened, you know, it, last week. We saw the results of that last week. First off, we had a guy mail multiple bombs to people on the left. Like Hillary Clinton and... Barack Obama, Robert De Niro, Cory Booker, and uh, George Soros. And the bombs didn't go off. There's been debate over whether or not the bombs are actually active. There was a conspiracy theory early on saying that it was a Democrat mailing a bomb to other Democrats to make Republicans look bad. Gained traction fairly quickly. And I thought about doing an episode on it while it was going on. And I thought, no, I go, they're going to catch the guy really quick. And I didn't really believe that conspiracy theory. I thought, it's possible. But it's unlikely. The most likely scenario isn't the false flag. The most likely scenario really is the guy doing it. There's one scenario where it's a guy in his garage getting pissed off at CNN and sending a bomb. There's another scenario where you have a guy being like, so if I want to influence the election, I could go out and campaign, or I can mail bombs to people that I like, hoping that they'll get through the mail and, you know, this whole, like, conspiracy thing. It's it just doesn't wash. It's not that it hasn't happened before, because it has. But, and that's why I wanted to wait till the guy got caught, because he easily could have got caught, and that story could have had more weight. But the most likely scenario is, it usually, that, that'd that be like if your liquor store got robbed, and the police being like, where was your best friend that night? Because it's possible that your best friend robbed your liquor store to get you insurance money. Now, does that happen? Yes, But the most likely scenario is a random guy comes into your liquor store and robs it. It can happen where it is a set-up crime, but nine times out of ten, it is an actual crime. Like I said, I could see where that conspiracy theory was coming from, but I just didn't... I didn't want to do an episode on it because I wasn't sold that it was the case. He believed in conspiracy theories that the political party opposite of him was so dastardly that he needed to send them bombs. We have the guy in Philadelphia, I believe, who walked into a synagogue, killed 11 people. Everyone he killed was like over 70. Shot a bunch of people, shot a bunch of cops. One of the cops is still critically injured. He gets shot. He gives up. 46 years old, only four years older than me. His life's over. Both of their lives are over. The bomber guy's life is over too. They're going to spend the rest of their life in a very contained area. They're not going to have any of the freedom they had before. So all their movements are going to be restricted. They're not going to be able to eat their favorite food or watch their favorite movie or stuff like that. Their lives are over. For what? For conspiracy theories. Because they were obsessing over these theories. One, that the Democrats were this completely hostile force that is trying to change the structure of the planet. And the other one is just that Jews suck. Like, Jews are so terrible that I have no problem blowing them away while they're in church. Now, you could say that's not really a conspiracy theory. But... It is in the sense, because if you just thought, if I just said, you know, I don't like that particular ethnic group, I may j- I'm just not going to interact with them. But if I believe that ethnic group is trying to take over the planet, or they run the planet, or the reason why my American Idol audition went poorly is because the Jews run Hollywood, that's where the conspiracy comes into the racism. You're letting the conspiracy theory paranoia mix with your already existing racist tendencies. Or in the other case, the political, the conspiracy theory and your political beliefs. They're butting heads. Conspiracy theories can be really fun to investigate and a lot of fun to discuss. But when you obsess over this stuff, you can become like this guy. Like these two guys. There are people who taught, who are shown into conspiracy theories. They get fired from their jobs because no one wants to hear them talk about 9-11 or Flat Earth anymore. People who have lost friends over conspiracy theories because they can't let it go. And you, I, I've, I've ran into people like that. I've never stopped being someone's friend because they believed a conspiracy theory. But I've met people and you're like, Sigh. he's going to talk to me about World War II not happening again, isn't he? Oh yeah, here he goes. Battle of Britain. That was all CGI. Even though it didn't exist back then. Ugh. Just trying to drink coffee. You can't obsess over this stuff. We can have fun talking about it. But when you let the... It's just like anything. You can have a fun hobby, but then when you start spending so much money, like Magic the Gathering, when you start spending so much money on the cards, you're actually not able to afford food for the next week because you just had to get this card, that's an obsession. And generally, we can then go, you know what, I shouldn't have spent all my money on these Magic cards. Did I really need that? I don't know, Shivan Dragon. I don't even know if that's still around, but that's how old I am do I really need that card? I'm eating Top Ramen for the next week and a half because I bought that card. But when it comes to conspiracy theories, people have a hard time to let go because they believe they have a moral duty to correct the conspiracy that they're they're dealing with. And they didn't. I don't know what these guys thought was going to happen. A couple people were going to get bombs in the mail. Guy was going to shoot up a synagogue and profit. Like, what What was the next step in this? Was it? I, I don't know. And I probably never will know what I mean, did they expect like everyone to rise up and we were going to be the start of the civil war? or Everyone realize, hey, there's a synagogue near me. That guy had a great idea. Like, what was the end game for these guys? The end game that they're actually facing is life in prison. Neither of these guys will get out. Just nuts. Don't obsess over this stuff. And I don't know why I'm telling you that because, like I said, you guys are much more informed than the average conspiracy theorist. But oh, and I do have to say, I was looking through the photos of the. I was was reading an article about the synagogue shootings. And they showed these three Jewish uh, people, I think there was a girl in it, it was two dudes and a girl, standing out on their stoop in the area, talking after the shooting. And one of them had a smile on his face. And the first thing I thought of, the very first thing that popped in my head was, God damn it, I'm going to see this photo for the next three years online. And they're like, look, false flag. Why would a Jewish person be smiling? After a massacre, false flag, I was like, oh, fuck. Because here's the truth. That's that's just the way these things go. They People who don't know anything about grief or tragedy will see a picture of a person smiling, and they don't know who they're talking to or who the person smiling is or how long after the shooting the photo was taken if it's taken place after the last bullet casing hit the ground it might be a little weird if it was ta- if the photo was taken 10 hours later and a guy's kind of just hey man what's going on and kind of gives that so that split second of a smile and that's when the camera takes it because i've seen that so many why would this person be joking after this tragedy it must be false Must be a false flag. I've been researching this stuff long enough. When I saw that photo, I thought, I'm going to see this photo everywhere. I'm going to see this photo everywhere. Okay, let's go ahead and get on to some fun stuff. And by fun stuff, I mean UFOs actually killing people. Now, this story, I had never heard of before. And I'm going to assume most of you have never heard of it either. But it is one of the biggest ufo encounters that i've ever come across for amount of witnesses length of time and interactions with humans this was a recommendation from Zinho. so Zinho lives in brazil and that's where we're going to go we're going to get in our uh, carpenter copter trademark hop in the carpenter copter we're going to fly to brazil now as we're flying to brazil we're going to fly over the Bermuda Triangle because we have to also go back in time. So we're going back to the year 1977. So Brazil during the 70s, from like the 60s to the 80s, it was ruled by... There was a military coup back in the 60s. They took over and they became a more uh, repressive regime. With State Department's help, with the United States, because we didn't like the way the country was... The United States really worked a number over on South America, but... Um, Military takes over the country in the 60s and they restrict a lot of things like freedom of speech and press and things like that. And they were like throwing leftists and communists in prison because they were having issues with that. That's why we were down there because Soviet Union was trying to go down there and so on and so forth. You know where the term third world comes from? America was classified as first world and all of our allies were first world. Soviet Union was second considered second world. That was the designation. All of their allies were second world countries. And third world meant a country that was not affiliated with the United States or the Soviet Union. So they tended to be poor. And that's then it, the term just became third world country. To mean a poor country or a slum. So that's where that term comes from. So at this point in time, you still had factions from the Soviet Union supporting troops in South America, and we were supporting governments or rebels in South America. Proxy wars, basically. Now, Zeno has been a, a great source of information on this. For one, I never knew this existed. And for two, he was able to give me kind of a ground-level view of this area. So we're going to go, this is October, 9, this is very, very well documented. And again, it's bizarre that it's not more well-known. October 1977. We're going go to go, we're landing the Carpenter Copter. We're going to land on Kolaris Island. Now, Kolaris Island, and it's a fishing village. It has a population at the time, a couple thousand people. And they were simple people. They didn't have television. They weren't reading science fiction novels or watching Star Trek. They just were a working class people. That's what they focused on. So, one night, this villager was laying in their bed and a bright light appeared over the house now she wasn't really aware of it at the time but she first she kind of looks up and she sees kind of the light coming through the cracks of her roof she had like a ceramic tile roof and the light gets brighter and brighter and brighter and then she said she could see through her roof and then her skin her skin on her thigh begins to burn And then the light goes away. And she didn't understand it because, again, there's no context for this type of thing. Now, nowadays, you'd be like, oh my God, that was a UFO, an alien came down to my house. But if you weren't reading comic books, if you weren't watching those television shows, if you were just living your life in a fishing village, you would be like, you would, I think, probably more likely account it to a devil or something supernatural. A couple days later, some fishermen were out fishing. And they saw these bright lights overhead. I think it was two or three of them flying around. And they, I, from what I understood from the story, they were getting ready to get in their boat. They see the lights. It freaks them out. They start running back to the village. The lights follow them. They felt like they were being pursued. When they get back to town, they start talking about this. And it turns out that other people in the village were like, yeah, I, I, I saw the lights too. They're chasing me around. And I didn't want to tell anyone because make me sound like a crazy person. And then other people were like, "Yeah, I was in my house, and the light was over in my house, and it came through my ceiling." So the people in the village start talking, and they realize that this has been going on, and no one was admitting to it. But now they're like, "Okay, we don't know what this stuff is, but whatever. Like, I guess just kind of deal with it." It doesn't go away, though. It actually gets worse. The activity gets worse. People are starting to get bitten, for lack of a better word. The beam of light would come on you, and you'd be frozen. And they started calling the lights in the skies chupa chupas, which means suck suck. And again, that's how I don't want to say I'm not saying simple like they're idiots. But that's how simple their cultural language was to describe this type of thing. Because what would happen was that burning sensation on your skin, it would basically put little marks on your skin and it would burn you. It was later described as looking like a burn that had, it looked like it was like this black burn. Someone compared it to a thing called an iodine burn, but it would burn in and you'd have these little puncture wounds and you'd have a little bit of blood, just a little bit. And so they believed that it was sucking out their blood or sucking out their life force. They called them chupa chupas because they're saying oh there's something biting me and it's sucking the blood out now again we would be like no that's an alien warship that's a ufo but in their culture they're just like well it sucks so it's a suck suck there were professional people in the village there was a doctor and a couple nurses who worked there and people are coming in and they're like oh hey betty what's going on they're like oh, i couldn't sleep last night why not and they're like Oh, you know, the Chupa Chupa was flying overhead. what? Now, because generally the people, you had this rural village and sometimes in these areas, you would live, the professionals would live in the city and commute to the work. So it's not like they were there every single day. The doctor, it doesn't want to live in a shack. He's a doctor. So the doctor would live in the nearest big city and then they would go, they would commute to work into these villages. Now, the medical staff had heard these stories about these chupa-chupas, but they didn't experience them. They were just seeing people come in with bites and burns. And they thought, it, there has to be like a vampire bat. It has to be some sort of, or it's self-mutilation. That was another thing. They're like, are these people like looking for attention? They're just poking themselves with stuff? I don't know. I don't think so. You know, and they're kind of looking at it. Now, this kept going on. The lights kept showing up. And two things was two things kind of happened at the same time that caused the investigation to start. One was the ships, the lights, however you want to describe them, because they sometimes would say they looked metallic, but most of the villagers only saw the light. Actually, you know what? That's an interesting point. That's a really, really interesting point. Damn it. I wish someone was here so I say I could say remind me to talk about that. And let me write this down here real quick, because I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm writing it on my hand like a four-year-old. Okay, so two things happened at once. One, the villagers who were fishing, that is their job. That is their livelihood. They are fishermen. And the ships were flying overhead while they're... Because sh- it wasn't something you would just see like right before you go to bed. It wasn't a dream. You'd be out fishing at night. You'd see these lights overhead and you're like, damn it, I gotta f- get these fish. But what happened was the ships would sometimes dive underwater. And so it started to give rise to the theory that maybe they were coming out of underwater caves. They weren't like, again, UFOs from another planet. They were coming from somewhere underwater nearby. But when they came into the water, sometimes they would go under the boats or just splash into the water in general. It would scare all the fish. And so you had these people. They're like, yes, it sucks. I get suck sucked every night by this weird light. But I don't care as long as I can catch fish and sell them. I really don't care. And they weren't able to catch fish and sell them. So they started complaining. They said, you need to get the military out here. Because this is an untenable situation. At the same time, in the villages, you had people... Because it was so ongoing. You had people going, I'm I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm so tired of being chased around by these lights. Now, there were reports in other villages that they also saw them, but it was mostly on this island. And so people just started packing up. A lot of the women and children left because it didn't matter where you're at. If you stayed in your house, they'd show up. If you were walking around outside in the dark, they'd show up. It didn't matter. And then the men, so you had that, you had like that migration going on. You had the men who were there who were like, maybe if we like light these huge bonfires and shoot fireworks off and try to scare them away. And it didn't work. Now, you're the Brazilian government. And you know, you got a lot of stuff on your plate. You're fighting communist insurgents. You got two superpowers talking about nuking each other all the time. You have political dissidents. And then you hear, on this little island out in northern Brazil, you're getting reports of mass migrations. You're getting reports of fireworks being shot off all night long. And you're getting reports of angry fishermen demanding the government do something about these flying lights. Now, this is one of the curious, this is one of the kind of curious things about this story. And I I think the story is curious in general. So, what happens is the Brazilian government says, okay, this is what we think is going on. We think that there are communist troops in the area. And they're using the superstitions of the locals to... Frighten them away so they can move supplies and troops through that area. We think that's what it is. However, we have to investigate it to find out if that theory is true. So they put together a team of soldiers, led by Captain Holland. I, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but he's going to be a he's going to be a pivotal character coming forward. Holanda, Captain Holanda. So it was led by Captain Holanda. But anyway, so the Brazilian government basically... tell Because Captain Holanda ended up doing a big interview after the the events. But he said the Brazilian government's basically like, hey, we think there's communist insurgents in there. We need you to take your men in and investigate this. And Captain Holanda goes, okay, you know, that's fair. You know, he'd been fighting drug gangs and he'd been fighting communists and stuff like that. But they named it Operation plate in English or operation saucer and the question is if their working theory was that it was communists why would they name it basically operation UFO operation saucer operation plate it would be operational I mean I, I don't know maybe the Brazilian government always has a sense of humor when they name their operations but that was a curious thing so you think maybe they had more info, in the inside of what actually was out there when they came up with that name. So anyways, Captain Holanda goes out there with his troops. And they start interviewing the townspeople. And the townspeople are like, yeah, you know, these things are flying around. Da-da-da-da-da. Now at this point, at this point, the military there is investigating it. And again, on the ground, they're thinking communists. The at, And also at this point, like I said, the doctors and the nurses, now they're saying, I saw it too. Like, I, I didn't believe them for the longest time. They're doing interviews, they're interviewing all the villagers, they're talking to them, they're like, yeah, you know, they're messing with our fish, we tried doing this, we tried doing that, you know, a bunch of our people had left the area, and they thought, okay, these people are just superstitious bumpkins. these are like basically hillbillies, they'll believe anything, but they start to, the military starts to see these things as well, these lights in the sky. Now, they're a little better equipped. They come out with cameras. They come out with film cameras. They come out with, uh, you know, film, like, photography cameras. And Captain Alanda said, you know, I went in with the idea that we were going to find some sort of insurgent group. I started seeing the stuff, and I'm like, okay, that, what I'm looking at, must be some sort of weapon that the communists are using. He still stuck to that story. First, he thought the communists were basically like just spooky noises and making like stuff in the sky to make the villagers leave. Now that he's seeing it and talking to the people firsthand, he's still thinking it's the communists or a superpower, a United States or Soviet Union, flying these things around and hurting people. Like he's on the ground now. He's seeing it, but he's still working with that scenario. And then he has... An encounter. Now this one was this was really interesting. He talks about this during his interview. He was, I believe he was in his house. And not or not in his house, but he was in the village. He was in a house. And he goes, Something came up from behind me and grabbed me. And he goes, It hugged me. Which might be a translation error, but he goes, It was where I could see it. He goes, it was wearing a mask. And it had a, on like a um, astronaut suit, but he said it was really kind of baggy. And he said it, it said in Portuguese, be cool, we're not going to hurt you. And he got burned. Captain Holanda, this veteran of the Brazilian military who's fought drug gangs and communists, is showing off in his video an implant under his arm. Now, it could just be an optical illusion. But he's pushing on his muscle, and you see, basically, and Xenio was the... It's funny, because when Zenio was telling me this story, he knew people who were involved in the village. That's where I was getting this story from. Zenio, and I can't get too much information, because you'll see how this story ends, but... Zenio knew people who were active in the village at the time this happened. And one of the people that he knew said, In the 70s, this person who was in the village was saying... They're putting implants under the skin. They're putting these weird implants under the skin. So the story was being told to Zinio about five years ago, seven years ago. The person who had lived there and, and worked there or what in whatever capacity was in that village in 1977. This person tells Zinio, you, have you ever seen a SIM card? It looked like SIM cards, even though that had never even existed back then. The person was saying, when I was looking at these villagers, it looked like they had, I didn't know how to explain it back then. They just had these little pieces that they felt like plastic under their skin. But now now that I look back on them, they have the same similar size and shape to a SIM card. It's interesting because I'm watching this documentary and Captain Holanda goes, he's pushing his arm. And you see, it looks like a SIM card. Not necessarily a SIM card because those are small, but a um, like an SD card under the skin and the interviewers ask him they go have you had an x-ray he said yeah it doesn't show up on an x-ray so anyways about a month or two into the investigation and this is also according to Zenio's source in the investigation about a month or two during while the military was checking this out the u.s u.s government sent officials down to brazil and had a chat and the investigation was called off Military out there, Captain Holanda and his troops, packed up all their stuff, came back home. The lights actually started to phase out. They didn't have the issue. They went away. And to this day, that region's relatively UFO-free. Still has all of the weird supernatural stuff you can attribute to any sort of rural area. But the lights, the chupa-chupas are gone. Now, I want to go back to this because I wrote it on my hand. It's interesting because the villagers always describe them As lights in the sky. Red lights. Blue lights. They would change color. And depending on the color. It would do something different to you. A red light. It would burn you. A white light. It would freeze you. They're green lights. But they always described them as lights. When nurses. Doctors. And military officials. So professional educated people. Saw them. They referred to them as metallic. They could specify the shape. They could go that was a cigar shape. That was a saucer. That was a triangle. And I think that lends something to the, the theory that it's almost this trans-dimensional thing where your mind is creating what you would most likely believe in. So to a villager, a, f- a light in the sky is creepy enough. They've seen meteors and comets and all sorts of like stuff. But to see like an oval-shaped light floating overhead chasing you, that's creepy enough. But to a professional they want to they have to see the structure for it to make sense they have to see the underbelly of the ship and they have to see the cockpit and stuff like that otherwise it's just a weird disc light in the sky but i think that's an interesting thing is that the the people with education saw them as physical vehicles with cockpits and the people who are simple fishermen just saw these weird lights in the sky the the ufo phenomenon may actually be beyond our understanding because stuff like that pops up. Now we're going to jump ahead to the year 1997. There was actually a UFO magazine published in Brazil. And it's so funny watching the video. You can, you know it was 1997. Because these two UFOologists are sitting down with Captain Holanda to do an interview. The key witness in one of the biggest UFO cases, really. And one of them is wearing an X-Files shirt. One of the UFOologists is straight up wearing a t-shirt that has the X-Files logo on it. But what happened was in 1997, Captain Holanda contacted this UFO magazine and says, I have a story to tell you. I'm going to tell you the story about what really happened on Kolaris Island. So he goes, he gives this big interview, and he said, yeah, I don't know what it was. I, I, to this day, I don't know what it was. I'm not going to say it was aliens or anything like that. But, you know, he talks about his journey from not believing it at all and believing it was a military operation but he says, he's like drawing pictures for him and stuff. He goes, we took like 4,000... There's like 4,000 pages of documents. There's hundreds of photos. There's film of this stuff. And the ufologists are like, "You photos of the lights. And he's like, oh, yeah. We have a ton of documents on this thing. And it's a really kind of a cool interview. And he, at this point, he's retired from the military. And he's like, you know, I'm retired. Just wanted to tell you guys this cool story. Now... Shortly after that interview, Captain Holanda dies, and he dies. They find him with, I believe, it was like a bathrobe belt, or it might have just been a normal belt, wrapped around his neck, and it was wrapped around a bedpost. And he, you just kind of slump down, and it slowly cuts off your circulation. It's not a, it's not an easy way to die. Don't get any tips. There was obviously two camps. One of them said he was murdered for revealing too much about Colaris. And then the other camp was, no, he had suffered from mental illness. Some people said that he had attempted suicide in the past, and he he killed himself. Zinho said that his sources were like, he never would have killed himself. Absolutely wouldn't have killed himself. He, when you're in the Brazilian military, uh, you have to go through regular uh, psychiatric screenings, because depending on where you're deployed, because it's such an aggressive job. It's very dark. You're out in the jungles. You're fighting cocaine gangs and stuff like that. So people who knew Captain Holanda personally were like, there's no way that he would have killed himself. It just doesn't sound like him. It was interesting in the documentary. So the only documentary I could find in English was from UFO Files. I'll put the link in YouTube. But one of the UFOologists who interviewed Captain Holanda before he passed away said, I think he killed himself. He goes, I personally think he killed himself. I think he was struggling with depression. He goes, but he wanted to tell this story before he did it. He could have been murdered to cover it up, though, definitely. He could have been murdered to send a message to people in the future. Hey, we don't talk about this stuff in Brazil. However, so what comes of this, he tells a story. It gets a ton of attention in Brazil. The heads of the UFO who write, do the UFO magazine and other UFOologists in Brazil, they lobby the government. So what happens is eventually the military junta, they're gone. So they left in 1985. In 1997, it's a much more free society. They eventually petitioned successfully to get access to the documents from Captain Holanda's investigation into the Chupa Chupas. And the Air Force is like, sure, whatever, we don't care. But they only gave them a couple. They're like, oh, we'll we'll give you like this small amount that you can look at. Drawing after drawing, detailed drawings of what the people on the ground were seeing, photos of these lights. and It really was a treasure trove for UFOlogy. And that's where we're at today. Nobody knows... Or nobody's saying at least what those lights were. Oh, and I should add, I might just want to say this early. Two people died during this. The nurses said that they had two casualties from getting too much blood sucked out of them or shock. They did lose two villagers. Dozens of people were bitten by the uh, by the little chupa chupa. In villi- the whole entire village was in fear of these things. Everyone was being chased around by these guys. So let's break. So let's do a little breakdown here. First off, as a skeptic, as a as a fair weather skeptic, I believe the event actually took place. I, whatever it was, I think it happened. I'm if it had been five guys in a pickup truck, it would be easier to say well they're probably just making it up for money. But you know, a thousand people in the village. All these witnesses, all these victims, military coming out, taking the photos, all that stuff. I believe the event actually happened. The question is, what were they? The theories are mass hysteria, mass delusion. And that's possible, but what kind of throws that off is that once the outsiders came in, they shouldn't have seen them as well. I could see a religious fervor in an area, people freaking out. But once you have the outsiders show up, they shouldn't have seen them as well. So I'm not really buying the mass illusion thing, but it's possible. It's possible. The weapon of a superpower, I honestly think that that is the most likely scenario. That it wasn't aliens, that either the United States was testing a weapon or the Soviet Union was testing a weapon. I think that's the most likely scenario. Because again, I believe that it actually happened. I believe the stories that we've talked about tonight really did happen. And the reason why they kind of put the nail in the coffin for me on that was Captain Holanda's story where the guy comes up behind him wearing the mask and hat. He said the skin looked loose like a baggy suit. And I think that would make me think... he the, the Captain Holanda, when he's talking about the story, seemed to tell the story as if it was a man in a suit. He said the vo- he had a mechanical computer voice but spoke perfect Portuguese and says, be cool, we're not here to hurt you. And he goes, I couldn't really see the eyes. He drew a picture of it. It looks like a gray, but a smaller head and kind of slit eyes. But he, even though he got a close up, a close encounter of the third kind, he didn't seem to think they were aliens. So I think that we were testing something or Soviet Union was testing something. Here's the pushback on that though. If that is the case, if it is a weapon that humans have developed, How come we're still not using it? Did we find it ineffective overall? Was it a way to try to freak people out and get them to leave the area? But again, it seemed like it drew the military to the area rather than the opposite. If it was a weapon system that humans developed, why don't we use it today? Or do we? And then the third thing is like, is it alien visitors? Whether they're aliens from another planet, or they have a base under the water, or they're coming from another dimension. Was it aliens? Now... I think it's less likely than it was man-made. But, again, it's possible. And then you have to look at why they were sucking the blood out of people. What do the SIM cards mean? Why were they in this remote area? Why were they around for so long in this particular area? And being observed by multiple observers, even when the military came in, they were still there. It was a crazy story, and it lasted a long time. People died. People got burned, attacked, followed and I thank Zeno for bringing the story to my attention, because I had never heard any of this stuff. I think this is more intriguing than something like Roswell, where a ship crashed, or Rendlesham Forest. where like, oh, we saw a light through the forest. This went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Operation Plate. And remember, they, the UFOlogists only got access to a small amount of the documentation that was created from that military operation. What is in the rest of those files? And will we ever see them? Probably not. But I think it may give us a little more answers to what at least the government truly thought was going on out there. Like I said, I'm leaning towards humans and then aliens come in second. And if both of those, if either one of those is accurate, that means those chupa chupas are still out there somewhere. Maybe they're sitting in a hangar getting tweaked for their next mission, or maybe they're underwater somewhere, getting ready for their next snack. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.